Sonic States. Hello and welcome to Podcast 14, that's Sonic State Talk, Podcast 14. Um, today we've got a new guest and his name is John Musgrave. John is a producer, programmer, engineer and occasional journalist. Am, am I right, John? That's right, yes. Uh, we've also got Andy Jones from Feedback PR, who's also a music journalist, um, used to edit uh, various weighty tomes in the UK MI industry. And we've also got Dave Spears uh, from G Media Music, makers of fine software plug-in instruments. Hi, Dave. Hello. Hi, Andy. Hello. Hi, John. Hello. First one was this uh, new TC Helicon plugin for PowerCore. I mean, it's great to see that there's more plugins coming out for PowerCore, and uh, this one's a four-part harmony plugin. Has anyone ever actually used anything for harmonising, particularly vocals? Uh, no, I've never used anything, but I've seen that demo at Mesa when you walk into that hall and uh, the TC guys, the guys playing his guitar and singing and it's harmonising. Yeah, uh, but that is Helicon technology, presumably, the harmonising stuff. Uh, it's a nice GUI, this. The, the interface is great, as you say, Dave. It's, uh, it's got sort of little faces. I wonder yeah, if you I could like drop that. your own photos in there. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, or singers that you'd quite like it to harmonise like. Yeah. Do you think it has a, would have a library, maybe, of, uh, of the same famous singers? It looks incredibly easy to use, I have to say. Um, I mean, what my initial question was, was has anybody ever used any harmonising software? Uh, not with anything like this. I use Melodyne for everything. Me too. Melodyne is the one. Is that any good for real-time stuff, or do you have to get in there and edit and process it? Uh, no, it's yeah. not a real... Well, it's not a real-time thing. It's a, it's software-based, and you can shift stuff around. So it's more a kind of editing yeah, I've software heard a, than a, a real-time I've heard processor. an awful lot of people talking about Melodyne, you know, saying it is absolutely the best thing for manipulating in the time and pitch domain i am the vocalist that melodyne was invented for <laughs> <laughs> so the four-part harmony thing is not going to help you out too much probably not no not unless i can sling it in line with melodyne i never use vocals in my music nick it's too human i like strictly quantized machine music oh i see so <laughs> the other thing i've tried recently is avox if anyone tried that that's not actually a harmonizer a harmonizer it's more a doubler and tripler and whatever that's the antares thing it's oh, okay. a suite of plugins yep deep breath and throat which allows you to change the sort of um change your voice sound of the voice yeah then there's a choir plugin which allows you to um multiply the vocals so two four six times that sort of thing when it gives but you kind of randomization so it's, it does sound like several people yeah, it sounds like a harmonise. Yeah, it sounds like a doubled or quadrupled voice, but not actually harm. There's no actual harmonising um, options in there for putting in harmonies. And Terra's have been working on vocal vocal processing for an awfully long time, so um, they should be getting some pretty interesting stuff going. I mean, as in fact of TC, Hel- they started out as hardware units for performers, didn't they? The Helicon. Yeah, I think so that's it was right. al- it was always a real time idea, whereas the software idea is you know it's a new idea. I think. Yeah, no, I wonder how, um, how, I mean, whether you could use this on a live input via the uh, power core. I suppose it's possible. Although you probably wouldn't want to run that live, would you? It'd be a bit scary. TC Helicon's Harmony 4 plugin for power core, and that's now shipping. But, uh, and it looks like a pretty good user interface. Um, And good to see more plugins coming for the power core platform. Mm, Definitely. Definitely. Okay, well, um, we got yet another mobile song download service uh, story. Uh, I mean, the reason we keep doing these is because they just seem to be popping up thick and fast, and, and everybody's searching around for the sort of charging model and the holy grail of how to make money out of digital music without people just pirating it. 
And um, I got this story from the, the Guardian, and um, it was uh, Heart FM um, did a sort of pilot where they uh, allowed people to download songs onto their mobile phones. And they tested 100 people. On average, the, tri- the people in the trial bought seven songs a week, costing £1.25. And so they spent nine quid a week, which is what, about $18, $19, on downloading music to their mobile phones, which is a bit of a revelation, because I'm sure, in most cases, people aren't, aren't spending that much money. I wonder what they did to sort of get it right. I mean, this was, this was a trial that uh, was in Birmingham in the UK, and it used 100 users, and it lasted for four weeks. And it showed 25% of the songs downloaded were current hits, and the remainder being classic oldies. But that's sort of the nature of the, the radio station. Uh, five out of six trialists said they would be keen to use the handsets in the future, while technology appealed strongly to women, especially those not used to downloading music. So do you think they're onto something? I'm amazed. I'm amazed that people are paying £1.25 a song. That's you more know, than iTunes, um, isn't it? Well, it's 79p on iTunes. Why, 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 why are they paying that much more just so they can stand out in the street and download it rather than sitting at home and downloading it from iTunes I don't get it I don't get it at all I'm not sure I do I mean listening to an mp3 on your phone is not going to be the kind of most hi-fi listening experience is it well that's that's another shock isn't it if 75% of them were classic oldies that kind of makes it sound like the the older generation are actually using the technology which is quite a surprise as well isn't it and uh, and yeah, a lot of women using it. So I mean, maybe they just found it very easy. I mean, I guess it's just a simple browsing system. I didn't. They weren't. They weren't too clear on it. But it's another interesting way of media delivery, and it's going to make the mobile phone companies go, "Hooray, we were right!" And you know, we're going to make even more money because presumably oh, some of that one pound twenty five is going to them for the network charges. Well, yeah, probably you know over and above the seventy nine p for the artist and whoever's hosting it. I think, but it, it's it's just another thing for mobile phone manufacturers to try and get mobile phones to do. Now, my effing mobile phone does all of this, but it doesn't actually make phone calls very well. (laughs) Come on, let's sort this out. It's just, there's so many things that that my phone does. Games, camera, MP3 player, um, and I can probably download these these tunes into it, but I have to keep rebooting it whenever I want to make a telephone call. (laughs) It's incredible, you know. Mine just runs out of battery quite quickly. Oh, that, yeah. So, I, I don't know, I think, uh, I, sound, I always sound like an old fogey on this show. I really do, but um, go on, move on. Move on, okay. <laughs> <laughs> At the complete other end of the scale, Dave, you found the, the vinyl sales up 87%. Yeah, no, I was blown away with that. And, and it's singles as well, isn't it? It's not, it's not just kind of 12-inch DJ stuff, it's actually pop records, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. really surprising. I- um, I did a bit of research into this one actually. Nick found out found out why. Oh yeah, do tell. Uh, I, got, I went to a few sites. Um, one company, one site reckons that it's uh, the high cost of CD singles, because CD singles are now so expensive compared to albums and vinyl. CD single sales are down by about twenty three percent. So there's a knock on effect for vinyl singles. But also, another, this is to quote, some teenagers prefer vinyl due to the warmer tone, such as from guitars and percussive musical instruments. So, um, does this mean perhaps that um, sales of turntables is up? Because, I mean, I didn't think many people, I mean, I haven't got a turntable. I mean, where's, where, where am I going to get one? Are we, are we actually sure that they play these seven inches? Well, just to kind of look at, and then they download the same track as well from somewhere else. To listen to on their phones, as we've just... Maybe what they should do is um, put a special code on the sleeve of the vinyl so that you can actually qualify to download a free version of the digital one as well. Good idea. Quite cool. Yeah. 
I uh, I got a free download the other day from the side of a Coke bottle. Diet really? Coke. Yeah, bought a, bought a can of Diet Coke and they said here's a free iTunes track and it was really easy to do. It's the only one I've ever downloaded. So there you go. It could be you could be right. Ah, oh, there was a story a couple of months ago about um, they've bought an absolutely enormous amount of um, free tunes off iTunes and you know a bulk buy and it's part of this big promotion. Yeah. Coke. So no, you, well, it, you go to their site um, and you put the code in, and it sends you straight back to iTunes, and you can choose whichever ever track you want. And it's the, it, that's that's the one track out of which we'll come to later when we talk about iTunes. But it's the one track out of seven thousand that I've actually downloaded from iTunes. Really? So it was free. they're not tying it into an artist promotion or anything. It's just what no, you, you have want. to go through. You go through the Coke site. Um, that's obviously part to do with it. And you register there as well. And then you put your code in, and you go straight back to iTunes. So um, I don't, I'm not quite sure what Coke are getting out of it, to be honest. Apart from hits on their website, it's not like they need any more branding. Let's face it. Just to return to your seven-inch single story again, from my experience, a lot of the seven-inch singles tend to be very sort of guitar and band-based artists rather than more pop mainstream people. Right, and, and that scene has definitely been picking up for a good two or three years. An independent scene rather than a main you know, major label scene. Yeah, Sky Sky News said that they said they, they attributed it to fans of British Indian rock buying seven inch singles because that that's the the big thing at the moment. There was a great thing because it was on Newsnight that I saw this. I think they were in the kind of local HMV interviewing kids, and there was this sort of gaggle of kids around um, various turntables trying out this old fangled um, vinyl, and it was brilliant because they said to one lad um, who looked pretty geeky so uh, are you kind of keen he said yeah yeah i really love the kind of tactile nature and the fact that you know i've got sleeve notes and things like that and it was just kind of little gatefold single thing and the guy said have you got a turntable and he said um no actually i'm borrowing my grandfather's at the minute <laughs> but um the bpi british phonographic industry said that there's one point you're on we're on course for 1.4 million annual vinyl sales this year it's certainly an interesting one, isn't it? I don't know whether you guys, any of you guys have had this debate, but, I mean, we have this constantly. You know, when you listen to vinyl as a kid, you could kind of, you listen to an album over and over again, and every time you heard it, you'd think, oh, yeah, I can hear something new in there. And we were kind of debating whether that was kind of natural distortion because of vinyl and certain sort of harmonic resonances. You know, whether it's the same in CD, because actually, you know, with a lot of CDs, you buy them, you play it a couple of times, and that's it, end of story. I don't know whether it's an age thing or whether there is any truth in the fact that, you know, there is this kind of transient lushness in vinyl. Mm. Isn't, that, isn't that more, like we were saying before, isn't it more to do with the throwaway nature of, of the way we listen to music these days? It's whether it's on, on vinyl. It's, it's really the, the iPod has made you just want to list, check out singles and tracks and not albums as a whole. So you don't listen to albums as a complete work and maybe you don't discover new things like you used to seem to yeah. you don't listen to albums as you're much. not hearing the relationship that was intended yeah. when they were compiled yeah. sonic state talking of ipod owners as well um apparently they're not saints um it says that 83 percent of ipod owner ipod owners do not buy digital music in fact um only 70 percent buy and download music usual sing usually single tracks at least once a month does that mean they're all pirating it, or they're just ripping it off their own collections. That's it. it just means the, the latter, doesn't it, Nick? I mean, somebody on CMU, which is this daily email service that goes out, they, they made a very good point about this and said that it's first generation uh, of downloading. This is the first generation of downloading. People have built up massive collections of CDs over the last 10, 15, 20 years, is it, maybe? And it's just that. I mean, it's just people ripping their own CD collections. They might be ripping other people's, but why is anybody surprised at this? It's Because, you know, I've just done 600 albums onto my iPod, and like I said, I've just downloaded one track from iTunes, and that was free. 
it's it, it's iTunes is something that I'm going to get round to, but I've got too much other stuff to listen to that I already own. It's simple as that. And I suppose the process of ripping your own um, collection means you sort of rediscover a lot of things that you might exactly, not have listened yeah. to for ages anyway. Yeah, totally. So I don't think and, you're, and you're in charge of the quality. John, are you a uh, vinyl or a CD? I mean, what's your preferred listening medium? I started moving stuff onto iTunes a couple of years ago, so I still do use CDs. If you have a friend who has a good record collection, CD collection, you have a good CD collection, you can trade MP3s with them. It's very simple and very easy. And it uh, has nothing to do with file-sharing networks or anything like that. And I suspect that's probably had as much an impact on, on sales as anything else. A lot of people, myself included, get CDs for less than eight quid now, um, which rivals iTunes, isn't it? It's 79 pence a track. Mm-hmm. Uh, you buy an album, or a complete album from iTunes, it's going to be eight quid. Well, you can just get that from a shop, HMV, knocking out albums for a fiver yeah. at the moment. So Yeah, well, I mean... They, it, they are fighting back. The, the, the record shops and Amazon, of course, that they are fighting iTunes price-wise this, easily. This I think. The, and you get better yeah. quality as well. And you, and you haven't got that... I think it's 128 kbps, is it? There's the, the, the quality of their MP3s? I think so. What, on it's iTunes? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I might, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can go up to 320, mm. and they're knocking them out at 128. That's they're not AAC, so why They're AACs, aren't they? Yeah, and you, and you can only um, load them onto five machines as well. There's that uh, limit as well. So, you know, there, there, there are advantages to, to still going out to buy CDs. Yeah, Andy was saying about, you know, ripping tunes from CDs. At least you're actually in, char- in charge of the quality. You know, I needed this Roberta Flack tune the other day, and I'm sat in front of the computer, I'm thinking, actually, it'd be easier for me just to go and get it off iTunes. And uh, the quality was absolutely appalling. Well, that's not going to discourage people from uh, using file-sharing networks if the quality's higher, is it? Well, this, I remember the speech when we went to the launch of the, of the European iTunes. The, the whole uh, basis of them charging 79 pence a track was that they were guaranteeing the quality. They were saying, well, pirates, you can never guarantee quality with pirate music because it's, you know, they'll have the, the end missing or something like that. So to hear Dave say that's a bit worrying, really, isn't it? And like I say... Check out the first time ever I saw your face. Just listen to the quality of it, and it's like, holy crap. Mm. What so can I had to you get say? out of my chair and go and find a CD. We should, while we're on the, t- uh, the subject of iPod owners and Mac things, it looks like um, new Miram Core Juice du- Duo CPUs for MacBooks are on the way. And uh, so what, you may wonder? Who cares? But actually, these new um, processors are a lot more efficient and as a result they won't generate as much heat the wattage the power consumption wattage is is down quite considerably Uh, uh, intel are aiming to get to five hours battery life with these and uh, by 2008 they're aiming for eight hours battery life with their their, the generation of prices they go so did you say five hours on the battery life yes for next year Uh, up to i said that's a big improvement isn't it that's a big improvement well that's assuming you know there are probably lots of caveats in that. That that's probably assuming you're not actually using the computer, the screen's off, and you're not using the hard drive. <laughs> it's just on, basically. That's what it means. So the new Miron Core Duos CPUs for MacBooks, and there's rumours that they're going to be announcing those in September. I mean, you know, as ever, these rumours are always uh, flying about all over the place. But I think people are sort of holding off buying, you know, because they think they're coming. But um, who knows? It's good news though, because I saw the bit. It said drop in. It said uh, Miron is drop in compatible with the current. Core Duo platform. Does that mean we can buy these as an upgrade and drop them in our MacBook Pros? Yes, I don't know. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that really would be, would be nice. 
more power, extra battery life in the lot. So, yeah, that'd be great. That would be nice. But I, I would imagine, because all the processor routines and the temperature monitoring and all that stuff's going to be geared around something that maybe is running much hotter. So I don't know if that's likely or not. But it says in the press release it may require BIOS updates. So that would sort out those things, wouldn't it? The temperature mm, control yeah. No, I, d- I didn't. I didn't spot that. That's a very interesting point. Well, watch this space, or watch some space somewhere, and somebody will tell you in the future sometime. Anyway, but I suppose our biggest item this week is um, the new MPC five hundred. Uh, when I wrote the show notes, um, I hadn't had any information through about it, but then um, uh, one of my sources at uh, Lisa Newmark sent me the spec. And uh, and we've in fact we put the story up this morning, um, but the new MPC five hundred it's uh, it's kind of smaller, more portable, battery powered, takes six double A's. Um, it's got a smaller screen. It's got twelve pads. Um, let me see key features: sixteen bit forty four, thirty two voice drum face sampler. Only go up to one hundred and twenty eight megs of RAM though. Perhaps that's a bit on the low side. Uh, velocity and pressure sensitive sound and pads, which is nice. 12 levels function, one sound on all pads with varied level or tuning per pad. Compact flash, WAV files, audio I.O., MIDI I.O.A., um, low-pass filter, resonance per voice, onboard stereo effects, memory expansion. It's got a USB slot, but it's not for talking directly to the computer. It's so you can plug in a mass storage device. Is anybody familiar with the new MPC stuff? I mean, and I know a lot of people swear by it. I mean, all the hip-hop kids and R&B guys in 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 America, just kind of love it. You know, that's the way they work. I've interviewed so many people over the years um, who swear by them, you know, and use them as their main sequencer and use them as for triggering stuff all the time and, and, and programming and composing, you know, everything. that uh, they, they have got an incredible reputation. I always, I always felt that they were, were very solidly made, especially, the, you know, the earlier ones. They were really built like tanks, really. And um, the concept of that being reduced to something much smaller and, I don't know, and portable. Portable and perhaps breakable, you mean? Portable and breakable, exactly. Exactly. I'm not sure. Hmm. Dave, have you, um, have you come across MPC NUS before? Uh, not really, no. One of our coders is a complete MPC freak. Um, I did have an SP1200 years and years ago. That was, um, but for me, it was kind of, it, it, it was really antiquated even then. So it was like, no, it didn't fit. It didn't fit kind of what I need. So uh, it went. But I got an arm and a leg for it. It was amazing. But that's the thing. I mean, I think with drum machines, I mean, it's almost like, you know, we kind of occasionally reminisce about how great the Atari was for certain things. And I kind of the, the MPC has always struck me as, you know, before this current generation, as a kind of one thing in a box that does all of that stuff, you know, and it, you can drop it, you can put it in a rack, you can hit it with things, and it's got multiple outputs, and it's just all... You know, it's all self-contained, and and you know the a lot of people just say that the quantize and the and the and the you know the the tightness of it is just you can't it can't be beaten. It's got a, just a sound that is just great. On the bigger picture, it's nice to see Akai still doing stuff because um, I I never know whether they're just about to go out of business or or what. They just keep hanging in there. Well, they're owned by Alesis. It's 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 really quite complicated because I always thought Alesis were on the verge as well. It's one of the <laughs> yeah. Well, Newmark bought Alesis, didn't they? <laughs> so, well, a Newmark keep, keep working your way up the tree. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're doing. I mean, they're they're releasing lots and lots of products at the moment. Newmark. I mean, they're kind of they're Newmark flying are doing out pretty well. They're flying out. I mean, they've got a whole new generation of really good MP3 mass storage DJ players, which are really hot. I mean, the iDJ two is 
a really nice piece of kit and because it's got beat sync and tempo and all of that stuff you know whereas the other one didn't and that's going to sh- sell for you know next to nothing and they're they're really cornering the market there and their prices but they've got stuff further up the food chain as well which is more robust and kind of more designed for club installations and what have you but um this new akai thing i mean we'll have to get a confirmation on that price but i mean it's such a massive brand NPC stuff. I mean, you just can't discount anything that's got the title NPC in it. You know, if we have a news item, it just people are just can't get enough of it. So it's almost like a sort of sub sub brand, you know. And I think they'll probably sell loads of them. According to Harmony Central, where they had a price information, it's going to be twelve ninety nine. That's dollars. Found something on uh, from the NPC forums, and it was someone who spoke to Nova Music, who've been listing it as as having it available. But they also, you know, say it will looks like it will cost seven four nine. So maybe that's closer to the actual price. So we'll try and get confirmation out of uh, Elise's for the actual price, because that would be a bit more, you know, in the ballpark. That would fit in the current pricing yep. strategy around seven four nine. That would be very affordable for an NPC. Well, I suppose um, we could talk about headphones. I mean, the link being that um, obviously, if you're using your ultra portable MPC 500 on a bus or whatever, you'll have to use headphones. And uh, we're all podcasting, so we're using headphones. Um, actually, the headphones I use, I'll just tell you what they are because I can't read the model. There, I use some um, Sony Sony MDR V6. They're four digital. They're great. I think a lot of live engineers use them because they get really good in clothes and they go quite loud. But um, M-Audio have brought out a whole new set of in-ears, the IE series. Um, And they do, um, they've got three in the range. IE30s, which are dual drivers at 299 bucks. IE20XB, which they call Pro Reference with extended bass. And the IE10s, which are just straight Pro Reference, which are 129.95. The IE20XBs are 249. I don't know about in-ears. I've always sort of found it very difficult because, I mean, those iPod buds, they never fit my ears and I have to get sort of funny little adapters to to poke into the side of my head so that I can get a decent response out of them. I mean, they seem like they're a little bit like... Everybody was buying those Shaws, weren't they, for their iPods, which were dual drivers, were very expensive. I did. I checked out the M-Audio ones um, in Prague. Oh, yes, because you were there last week, weren't you? They were quite good, actually. I was quite surprised. I mean, I've never, ever used any kind of in-ear monitoring system at all. But uh, I was I was quite surprised. Were they comfortable? Uh, yeah, they've kept, they've got little um, you know several little adjustments that you, it, it takes a little bit of time for you to find the right ones for your ears. Um, but you can sort of pop them on the front, pop them in your ears. Uh, I tried the very expensive ones first, or I thought they were quite expensive. What was that? Two nine nine, two four nine. Yeah. But as with all these things, whenever they demo them, they're always playing some Steely Dan track in there. <laughs> you know, my sort of attention span when it comes to Steely Dan at the minute is um. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of listening for the highs and the lows. Um, um, they did sound good, but uh, like I say, I've got no experience of any other in-ear monitoring system. Yeah, well, we're hopefully going to get some in for review. I'd like to check them out because um, it's hand- always handy having kind of miniaturising everything. But dual driver ones, I mean, that's what they put in really high-end in-ear systems. And uh, they're supposed to be very good. But, you know, expect. I mean, God knows, what, what size is the tweeter in a dual driver unit in an in-ear? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> Yeah. Do these do these use like the sealed enclosures like so they mould to your ear? Is that the yeah. idea? Yeah. I mean pretty so they're much. They're basically yeah. completely sealed. Yeah. I mean you can pop like I say you, you you pop these kind of little things on the front and that that helps you find the kind of perfect ear fit. What, yeah. But once you found that it seems to just kind of uh, things seem to sing nicely. I suppose what were they really if they if they really wanted to clean up they could put a little box that had noise cancelling in there as well so you could let people use them on the plane because uh, that, that might work. 
Mm. Yeah, well, that's the headphones I use. I use the Bose ones. Oh, is that right? And, and you've got noise-cancelling headphones, have you? Does, I mean, is it good? Uh, yeah, it works for me, God. Because I hated it, you know, sitting on a plane for 11 hours. And all you can hear is going on over your music, whereas this actually eliminates, I'd say, probably about 80 90% of all the extraneous nonsense. Wow, that's amazing. I always wonder, I wondered something about those, because obviously they have to provide anti-noise to cancel the noise. So mm. isn't the overall amount of decibels that are coming at your ears kind of loads? I think if you have these uh, the sealed in, in, in um, earphones as well, the ones that are really sealed, so you really cannot hear anything in the outside world. It's pretty scary. Somebody's shouting, watch out, there's a piano falling a from bus. the roof. If Assuming one did have the set of these new headphones, uh, would, would anyone have heard anything good lately on them? Very good. I've actually, uh, I've actually only got one good album that I want to talk about, but it, because it's a label compilation, it's, um, it's actually a whole bunch of new bands. And um, I'm a big electronic music fan, always have been. So I'm always on the lookout for new uh, acts. And this label, it's a Canadian label called Noise Factory. Um, and they've got such bands as Hexes and O's, Beef Terminal, <laughs> which is uh, Sounds a bit quite saucy. interesting. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit saucy. Mini System, which is a really lovely, melodic, kind of Ulrich Schnauss kind of thing. But they've got a sampler album called Sampler Number no. 3. And that's actually um, on release now? That's on release in the next couple of weeks, and it's it's really good. There's about there's it, it reminded me in a, a little bit. Do you remember when Warp Records came out and they did these early compilations called Artificial Intelligence with Aphex Twin and LFO and all these people like that mm-hmm. would be on there. They become huge sizes. It's a little bit like that. It's just a a whole different range of a, different types of electronic music, but from this this label who I thought oh brand new label, but it turns out they've been around for about ten years. Lots of different stuff on there. Anything? Any particular favourites? Uh, yes, the uh, the mini system one, Beef Terminal have got a track called. Bear with me, I shall just try and find it. They've got two tracks on there. One of them's called Violence Against Computers, which I thought was quite good. Um, there's also Neon Tetra. These are all bands that I, I've suggested in my review in Future Music. These are all bands you can just drop into conversation, pretend that you you know you love obscure bands. Oh, I was into Beef Terminal in their early days, you know that kind of thing. Some of it doesn't work, but they're all you know, great new bands to buy their albums which will be coming out over the next year. Uh, um, John, is, what's, your, what's been tickling your ears recently? Quite mainstream stuff recently. I just got the new Zootons album, which I'm quite quite fond of. It's a band that I didn't really pick up on the first kind of year they're doing quite well. But uh, yeah, quite like that. That's pretty... It's called Tired of Hanging Around. Zootons are from Liverpool, I think. And um, the other thing I heard on a... I heard quite a clever... Um, remix of Pink Floyd track on Radio 1 last week, which is uh, Eric Prids. You know the guy who had the big big smash hit a couple of years ago? A uh, big dance hit, Call of Me, which was uh, a oh, big yeah. sample part of someone else's track. Well, he's done something with um, Brick in the Wall, Pink Floyd track, another Brick in the Wall. Oh, I think I heard that the other uh, day, yeah. It's kind of half another Brick in the Wall and half Electro. It's quite interesting what he's done with it. Is it, what, what do you do with it? Do you strip it away? Do you keep, you know, just keep the vocals? What, what, you know, what do you use well, on yeah, track? Use um, as much um, of the original as possible and hope you can catch the uh, original fan base. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the A&R man would like you to do, yeah. Yeah, but he's yeah. been a bit more adventurous, has he? It's just, it just sounds like two tracks together, which I think is quite quite of the moment, isn't it? A mashup, I believe they call it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's a mashup, but not without it sounding too much like a bootleg. 
No, I quite like that. I thought it was quite interesting. As well. Um, Dave, how about you? Um, I bought that Junior Boys album after Andy recommended it the other day. I like that. Getting on with that. But um, no, I've been involved in this kind of very highbrow um, film score thingy. And as an antidote, I went on to iTunes and bought um, John Shuttleworth, The Yamaha Years, with such classics as My Wife Died in 1970. <laughs> Perhaps you could explain the concept of John Shuttleworth to uh, less aware uh, listeners. John Shuttleworth, uh, I don't know what you call it really, a kind of northern club singer with, you know, one of these kind of crappy home organ things with all the auto accompaniments. Yeah, it's kind of like comedy poetry, isn't it? Sort of, sort of, but yeah, music, it, musical it just, comedy it, poet. It made me laugh all day, I have to say. We had it on repeat in the studio here and I was just, um, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. An antidote. Yeah, he's just got this track called Why Reg, and it's about his it's Austin ambassador Why Reg. Please don't ask me why Reg, it's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other gem is Pigeons in Flight, which sounds a bit like a sort of Celine Dion track, but he's done a wonderful job on the whole album. SonicState.com Maybe we can gain some sort of insight into our personalities by the kind of plugins we use. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't mind starting this off because um, uh, the plugins I tend to use. I mean, and I'm not. I'm not. Uh, this is going to sound terribly cosy and matey, but I do like the G Media plugins and I do use them. But I mean, primarily, most of the plugins I use are actually in Logic. You know, I just use the what the stock ones in there. And I favourites include you know the the bog standard compressor, Bit Crusher, and a thing called Sample Delay, which is like um, if you set it up right, you can just have a, a split a mono signal left and right really wide. It's kind of like a static mm-hmm. dimension D kind of thing, and it's all over yeah. everything I do. Does it sound good in mono? <laughs> I've no idea. <laughs> Interesting, actually, because I'd say one of my favourites is the Waves Doubler, which is a kind of along similar lines, because that's a, a delay line either side. Um, but it's got modulation on as well. Yeah, it does more along the lines of order uh, of an eventide would do. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it does sound... I mean, the, the, the sample delays does sound very much like that, although you can't really modulate it because you get that kind of glitching because it's... Uh, no, I'm a big fan of Waves Doubler. It's, uh, I, I think if I had a TDM system, maybe there are even tied harmoniser plugins you can get for TDM now, aren't there? So, Andy, how about you? Well, PSP Nitro is my favourite. Uh, you know, the big uh, filtery effects, mental thing. Um, also, uh, the Ohm Force range, I really like those. I used to use those on just about every uh, rhythm track that I would ever do, just to kind of make it sound all glitchy. Um, synths-wise, FM7 Pro 53, really old ones, and it will be the GeForce stuff because I've got to blag those out of Dave. Uh, Dave, can I have your entire range of synths, please? So, Dave, uh, um, aside obviously from your own wonderful plugins, I mean, what what else do you use, or can't you bring yourself to use anybody else's? I, I'm a huge fan of the Spectrosonic stuff. I have to say, the um, stylus always, even if it's in some kind of really small way, always makes an appearance in every track I do. Um, I love that virtual grand piano we've talked about before, and obviously the own force stuff. In fact, I kind of rediscover plugins after a while. I, I kind of do the same with our stuff. You know, some, sometimes I'm kind of using our stuff constantly and constantly, and then uh, I'll switch to like one instrument, and then I'll rediscover something. So I've been using the Imposca for ages, and then I kind of rediscovered the Mini Monster, and it was the same with the own force, the own boys delay. I mean, it's a really old delay um, plugin, but it still sounds fantastic. 
Uh, and the other one is the isotope stuff. Um, I was working on a mix recently, and all the sort of component parts were there, and, and the whole mix just wouldn't come together. It just wasn't gluing. And uh, I spoke to a mate, and he said, try the, um, I can't remember what it's called, ozone, and use that mm. as a kind of starting point. And uh, literally within half an hour, it was like, right, done, finished. And everybody that I emailed this track to came back saying, nice production. And so, is uh, Ozone like a mastering, finishing kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is absolutely glorious. Any one of the kind of presets is a really good, really good starting point for, you know, just tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. But it's quick and immediate. I love it. I really do. Oh, Great. Well, I've not tried any of their stuff yet, but I'm, I, I must do, because I've heard lots of good things about it. Um, the other thing they've recently, they've got a new time stretcher out, haven't they, that goes in logic. I've got that, and that is absolutely indispensable. Radius is, in fact, I have yeah. to declare an interest here that I, I helped on the sort of beta side of things when it was just, you know, line commands, and I was using it for a product that we're going to bring out reasonably soon, and it is absolutely fantastic. As soon as it came out for logic, I was like, guys, 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 I have to have this. It's it's yeah. stunning. It really is stunning. I mean, it does take a little bit of time to work its magic, but it's awesome. Really awesome. I'd say well worth the cash. The time stretch in Logic's never been that hot, um, to be honest. The other new one, not, not Waves, but the other new one is the Serato LE one, the Pitch and Time LE, which is now available for Logic. Yeah, that's good. I mean, Pitch and Time was the first and probably the best pitch, um, time stretch, as far as I remember. I mean, just in terms of artifacts. It was superb, and also you could do group stretching with that. And the other major one is the Time Factory one that's Prosonic make. I've not tried that. Not neither have I for a long time, but it's um, they've recently updated that, I think. But that's another. I big used to use that. I used to use that in OS nine. That was pretty good. Yeah, the OS nine one is now I think available free. Obviously, I think you have to. I think they've stopped supporting it, and you can just download it and use it. But if for OS X, they've got a newer version. Excellent. Okay, so that's a wrap for this week. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank our guests. Thank you very much, John Musgrave. You're very welcome. Very Andy much. Jones, thank you very much. Yeah, cheers, thanks. And Dave Spears. Thank you. Um, and remember, uh, you can contact us using Skype on the handle Sonic Talk, or if you want to use the phone number, our number in the US is 312-376-8089, or if you're outside the US, 001-312-376-8089. You can always email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com there's an answer phone on those numbers so uh, just do ring up and leave us any kind of message and I'd just like to say thanks to Stephen from Dublin for your kind words on the podcast Uh, nice to know that you're appreciating it so that's about it and thanks once again for listening sonicstate.com